electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Bring in show music, please. Hi, I'm CNBC producer Cameron Costa. Today on Squawk Pod, tech's volatile week, and it's only Wednesday. Streamers are still disappointing. Well, I was stuck on Netflix again yesterday, and I got nowhere. I ended up on Tinder Swindler. You ended up on Tinder? And billionaires are still on the brain. I still ask who should buy Netflix at 90 billion. Elon should do that next. And in China, the CCP is under even more pressure to curb cases of COVID. Dr. Scott Gottlieb. What you're seeing in China really is more of the same. This is where they're going to be for the foreseeable future with these sort of rolling lockdowns across different cities. Those stories, plus the margin call of the decade, the collapse of Archegos Capital, the billions of dollars lost, and now the man behind it all, Bill Huang, arrested. This is probably the biggest white-collar prosecution in the last decade. It's Wednesday, April 27th, 2022, and Squawk Pod begins right now. Stand back, you by in three, two, one, cue please. Good morning. Welcome to Squawk Box here on CNBC. We are live from the NASDAQ market site in Times Square. I'm Becky Quick, along with Joe Kernan and Andrew Ross Sorkin. A huge sell-off yesterday when the Dow was down by 2.4 percent, the S&P was down by 2.8 percent, and the NASDAQ was the big loser yesterday. It was down by almost 4 percent. That makes it a worst day since September of 2020. Despite the huge sell-off, U.S. stocks were attempting a recovery this morning as the market opened. But it's a lot to recover from, though. The tech-heavy Nasdaq dropped into bear market territory, hitting a fresh low for the year and suffering the biggest daily loss since September of 2020. It's about 22% off its high now. The S&P also posted its worst performance since March on Tuesday and closed below a key support level of 4,200. not so great tech news. Investors and media moguls are still trying to make sense of Netflix's shocking subscriber loss in the first quarter. CEO of the newly minted Warner Bros. Discovery, David Zaslav, made a point to say that his company is far more balanced than Netflix during his own earnings call this quarter. Our goal is to maximize long-term shareholder value and asset value, not just subs. We will not overspend to drive subscriber growth. Here's Joe Kernan. How about the Netflix? Do you see what Zaslav said? Yeah, streaming, uh, we may not blow a lot. Uh, trying to, trying to, what happened? How can this happen so quickly? The, the, it was the end all be all, all of us, that's all we were gonna ever do ever again was stream and work for streaming companies. Because we left our houses but no, again. What he said though, In sympathy to David, he basically was, I think, trying to telegraph to the market that they were going to be disciplined about spending. I don't think. 100%. But specifically, his line was, I don't want to be the winner of spending, I think. Um, It wasn't that I don't want to be the winner of streaming. And so I think that there's a little, there's been a lot, I don't know, I I see a lot of people in Hollywood sort of taking different pieces away from this. Is is he really not going to spend? Is he going to be spending on HBO, but not on 
TBS and TNT. I mean, I think there's a, there's there's still questions about how this is going to play But I think he's sending a good message out. to investors that we're not going to spend wildly and just right. hope that the the market rewards that because the market has changed its perspective so drastically in a matter of months. I'm getting. I have crazy people that obviously Twitter crazy people follow. So some actors and writers that are mad about conglomerates taking over. And they're now they're mad at Discovery. What TBS and they're going to be no more scripted series or something? Did you and that affects? Yeah, people but that was direct- to be honest with you, there there wasn't scripted series at TBS and TNT had basically all but come to an end. There were maybe I don't know. I think right. literally you could count them on a hand of how many scripted series there were. I think what's going to happen is just what any rational business person is going to do, which is. If you have scripted stuff, it'll be over at HBO. If, in fact, they want to move that over to TNT at some point, they do it. It's just why have two development arms, if you will. In, you know, that's the problem. There was so much sort of different, so much overlap of people doing oftentimes similar things. Well, right? I was stuck on Netflix again yesterday, uh, Andrew, and I got nowhere. I, I ended up on Tinder Swindler, and I, I don't know. That's another you ended one. Up on Tinder? Tinder. <laughs> Tinder Swindler, no, and I learned documentary. some things about how the whole, the whole process worked, but I, I didn't right. get through the, the first episode, and oh. I gave up. You, you, it, uh, how many episodes? Keep going. Really? Keep going. It is so crazy. It is like one of the great scams of all bad. time. I felt bad for the person that was talking in the first episode, and I felt so bad that I couldn't, I couldn't watch it any further because she was so for the first, of this yeah, guy. Well, she's not the only one who gets swindled. He's, yeah. got, he's swindling these ladies all over Europe. It's, re- it's remarkable. Serious, serious question for you guys. Is, is this the end of this golden era for content? My, my guess would be no. no, but maybe it's not going to be as flush as it has been for the last several years. I, I think they need more. There's nothing on Netflix I want to I was thinking about that. It's just There's that not one thing I want to watch. Get, but anybody could get green-lighted for something before. That's why it's at $198 at this point. Right. right. Well, Netflix was, well, you know, HBO Max let's, at least Let's is use quality. this as a, a nice segue to yeah. the YouTube story, because this yeah. is uh, what's what's moving markets this morning. Shares of Google parent Alphabet, their lower earnings of a dollar of two, uh, twenty four dollars, rather to say, uh, sixty two cents per share, missed estimates of twenty five ninety one. Revenue also falling short. A lot of this was a function of this: the YouTube ad revenue that's drawing a lot of attention. It fell well short of expectations. CFO Ruth Porat saying uh, the deceleration reflects tough comps because of last year's pandemic boost. And CEO Sundar Pichai noting uh, the strength of competitor TikTok, which doubled daily views from the prior quarter. Aside from YouTube, Google's traffic acquisition costs came in higher than the street expected. That's the metric that measures how much Google pays other websites to acquire traffic. But the important point here is at a moment at which Netflix is starting to think maybe we should be in the advertising business and everyone else is, is sort of turning, looking around, CNN Plus, what's happening here? thinking that maybe advertising is the answer. I don't know. It may not be the answer either. And may, maybe the pendulum's just swung a little bit too far on both sides and it's going to land somewhere in the middle. Oh. I think it's that, yeah. yeah. I, you know, you, you see these crazy reactions where anything and everything goes and, it, and it's coming back. Yeah. And, and by the way, Alphabet's shares aren't as uh, down as they were last night after the bell. And part of that's also because of the big buyback that they're doing too. What was it, $70 billion? Uh, we had a lot, yep. of, no, uh, it's, a, a lot of trillion dollar companies. When you're at a trillion, uh, it, it's easy to not be at a trillion, and, it, and it's painful as they become. Uh, Netflix was not, but Netflix, where is that? Is it, nine, is it 90 billion now? Where's Netflix? It's, 
It wasn't a trillion, but it was up there. In the, it's at 88 now. I still ask who should buy Netflix. That, I still think that's a, a, a fair question. Who, who should? And uh, 90 billion. And right? why at this point? If I think it's Elon. Not, if it's, if it's Elon not the, should do that next. Yeah, if it's not the library you're buying, what, what are you buying? The, the talent that's producing nothing I want to watch? What do you, I don't know how you, I don't know why, you know, it's not worth you're 88. You're buying the subscribers. I, I, it's like, what are you buying when you buy Twitter? You're buying people, users. Right. You're buying users. I just wouldn't count on the subscribers staying, you know, or at least increasing year in and year out anymore. I don't think it, they, they don't think that either. I don't, and it was international. And I don't know. Robinhood announcing it's going to be cutting 9% of its full-time staff. The company's CEO, Vlad Tenev, saying the layoffs are aimed at reducing the number of duplicate jobs within the retail brokerage. But we've seen... You can just look at the stock of that company and also just the usage. It's, um, it's quite something reflecting maybe where the markets are as well. It's a new low on hood, the hoodlums, the Robin Hood. Yeah. Below 10, high of 85. Um, that tells you a little bit. I mean, they, they say their best days of growth are behind them, and that tells you a little bit about... $7 billion market cap now. But doesn't 85. it just tell you about the whole meme stockification, Joe? Yeah. And it just speaks and to where retail. we are in the market. When the market's not going up... It's not People fun. in that realm are not playing. Play, are not playing. I hate to say playing because it shouldn't be playing. That was the whole point. I don't I know why, why. do I have an 85 high on my, it Must have been that must be closes or something on the two-year chart or something. It must be weekly or monthly closes. About a year ago, a family office called Archegos Capital shook the finance world to its core. I'd say it shook Wall Street, but the implications of what happened had a global reach. Archegos manages, or managed really, the fortune of ex-hedge funder and billionaire, Bill Huang. This guy was everywhere. It's like a perfect storm. You might remember this, but 2021 was a whirlwind, so I'll set the scene. It wasn't long after the GameStop short squeeze, or the $69 million Beeple NFT. It was the same week as that overly memed ship was stuck in the Suez. So here's what happened. The family office Archegos focused on media stocks like Viacom CBS and Discovery, as well as Chinese tech stocks like Baidu, Tencent, and Vipshop. But it built up those massive positions largely with borrowed money. Huang used swaps, which are a kind of derivative that investors trade among themselves. Swaps are contracts that offer financial exposure to companies but don't require public disclosure, and they usually allow for higher than usual leverage, or debt. Well, in late March 2021, ViacomCBS stock suffered a little weakness. And because Huang's Archegos ran such a leveraged book, when stock prices of companies in that book, like ViacomCBS, started to fall, some of the firm's lenders demanded cash to cover the huge bets that Huang made, the infamous margin call. Morgan Stanley and Goldman Sachs were the first to question Huang's ability to do so, which prompted a stock fire sale of Icom CBS, Discovery, and Tencent. And that sent Wall Street whirling. Archegos was forced to liquidate positions worth nearly $30 billion, and global banks like Credit Suisse and Nomura were on the hook for billions. Viacom stock was off 50% that week, and Discovery had slid 45. Baidu was down 18, and Tencent down over 30. So fast forward to today. Owner of Archegos Capital, Bill Huang, and his former CFO, Patrick Halligan, 
arrested. Federal prosecutors allege that Huang used his personal fortune to manipulate markets and commit fraud. But the story isn't just about the swaps and the margin call, or even really about Bill Huang. Family offices in the US manage trillions of dollars of assets, but they aren't subject to the same SEC regulations that typical hedge funds are. And if a virtually unknown shop like Archegos can prompt a liquidation trade that spells material losses for huge players like Credit Suisse and Nomura, how fragile is this system? Some white-collar news. This is probably the biggest white-collar prosecution uh, in the last decade. Former Archegos Capital Management owner Bill Wong has been arrested by federal agents. This happened this morning. Uh, the former chief financial officer of the firm as well, Patrick Halligan, also were arrested. The men being charged with racketeering, securities fraud, and wire fraud, accused of manipulating stock prices higher. At one point, there was a view that they had something on the order of uh, $20 billion in play that had pressed and pushed up the prices of stocks, if you remember, like Discovery, uh, right before they were trying to merge uh, with uh, Warner Media, also uh, Viacom, uh, as they were uh, discussing their plans. So uh, lots of eyes uh, on this. Uh, this is a former, I don't know if we call him a, 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 uh, a Tiger Cub. He was, he was part of Tiger Global or Tiger Asia Global many years ago. We should say that he pled guilty in 2012 to insider trading then, uh, then ended up starting his family office. And interestingly, and we have, uh, I think, a clip uh, he was one of the original uh, folks who helped seed in uh, Kathy Woods' ARK Invest uh, ETFs. Take a listen. I met him uh, actually through a church. Uh, we were um, both uh, uh, advisors to what was called the financial services ministry, younger people going through the financial services industry, uh, especially in New York City. We were exchanging stock ideas back then, and uh, I know he bought into one of the stocks in which we had a high uh, degree of confidence, Netflix. Uh, and he hadn't been involved at all in U.S. stocks. So, yes, he did uh, uh, provide the seed for our first four ETFs. And we were very grateful to him. And lots of folks are going to be watching uh, this case and uh, exactly what it means. The other interesting part with this is just the market manipulation part. If, if you read the charges that are out today, they say that Wang would routinely buy and sell more than 10 to 15 percent of a stock's daily trading volume, knowing yep. that it would influence the price, and that Wang himself put in this, uh, this requirement, allegedly, that any additional exposure, once they got to a 5 percent position in a stock, total would have to be done swap, through total right. return swaps so that you didn't have to publicly disclose any of that. And that's probably what this case really hinges on, this idea of market manipulations, not just trying to skirt around uh, regulatory requirements, but basically completely flouting them, making sure that you never had to tell anybody what you were doing. And that's probably where right. this is going to rest. Also raises the question whether the SEC needs to change some of the rules around total return swaps and other kinds of derivatives that give you exposure without necessarily declaring that exposure, right? Yeah, exactly. Next on Squawk Pod, China's rolling COVID lockdowns continue, and it's taking a toll on its citizens. Our own Eunice Yoon on the ground and Dr. Scott Gottlieb with a 30,000-foot view. People aren't going to come forward if they're infected. They're going to try to conceal their infections because when they come forward, they end up in a quarantine hotel and they can be in there for quite some time. Picture this. It's Saturday morning and you're on your John Deere compact tractor. 
you're effortlessly breaking ground on your new landscaping project. Next, you're moving piles of rocks just by moving a lever. And now, you're enjoying the warmth of the sun as you clear brush across your pasture. We could keep trying to put you in the moment, but to really understand everything you can do with a John Deere compact tractor, you just have to get in the seat. Learn more at johndeere.com slash get in the seat or visit a dealer near you. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. Welcome back to Squawk Pod from CNBC. We're jumping back in with Joe Kernan, Becky Quick, and Andrew Ross Sorkin. Here's Becky. Companies including Texas Instruments and Deutsche Bank out with new warnings about the potential impact of the COVID outbreak in China. Let's get to Eunice Yoon in Beijing. She's got the latest with what's been happening. Eunice, uh, good to see you this morning. Thanks so much, Becky. Well, while Beijing winds down its second round of mass testing, the citywide results of its first round are in. Out of 19.8 million people tested, 12 pooled samples tested positive, which means that the preliminary positive cases are in the dozens. Now, this low reported case count is bringing some relief to people in Beijing that perhaps the capital won't go into a full-blown Shanghai-style lockdown, though it's still too early to say. Uh, Shanghai officials say that their caseload has eased. The city is expected to lift the lockdown in communities with zero cases, they say, though no details were given as to when that would happen. Auto factory town Changchun said that it's going to start lifting its lockdown in phases starting at 12 p.m. Eastern today. But there is some bad news today for Christmas retailers and suppliers. The Christmas village, known as Iwu, went into partial lockdown today after detecting three asymptomatic cases. And Iwu is responsible for 80 percent of Christmas products that are shipped out of China. Guys? Eunice, thank you very much. Joining us right now to talk more about it is Dr. Scott Gottlieb. He's former FDA commissioner and a CNBC contributor who serves on the boards of both Pfizer and Illumina. And Scott, you hear the numbers and it's still hard to get your head around this. A city of almost 20 million people where they suspect there are dozens of cases. Do you believe that? And what do you think happens next? Well, look, I think it's probably right in terms of what they're reporting. The reality is there is COVID now in Beijing. Um, it's The city is seated, and they're not going to be able to repeat these mass testings. And so what you're seeing in China really is more of the same. This is where they're going to be for the foreseeable future with these sort of rolling lockdowns across different cities as the virus gets into those cities. And remember, people aren't going to come forward if they're infected. They're going to try to conceal their infections because when they come forward, they end up in a quarantine hotel and they can be in there for quite some time. Right now, China doesn't have an endgame. Um, their strategy is to implement these lockdowns. And when you're dealing with a much more contagious variant like B2, in many respects, this is worse than the Wuhan variant and the worse than the Delta variant in, a, in an immune-naive population. Because even though Omicron is inherently less virulent than the previous strains, it's far more contagious. So when it gets into an immune-naive population where there's low vaccination rates, where the vaccines that have been deployed 
aren't very protective, it could spread very quickly. And there are still a lot of vulnerable people. Just to sort of in closing, just to give you a sense of that, if you look at the population of people who've been vaccinated in China, overall, it's 88 percent. They've done pretty well. That's a pretty high global rate. But when you look at the rate of people who've been boosted, people over the age of 60, only 56 percent have been boosted. People over the age of 70, only 48 percent have been boosted. And people over the age of 80, only 20 percent have been boosted. And about 50 million people over the age of 65 haven't been vaccinated at all. So they've done a good job vaccinating the young. They haven't done a good job of vaccinating the most vulnerable population, older individuals. Which leads to the question of how long does this last? I mean, when do they get to the point where they actually have some immunization built up, either naturally or through these vaccination programs? And by the way, how good are their vaccines? Well, if they build up the immunity naturally, it's going to be very painful because they have an immune-naive population. They have older populations in city like, cities like Shanghai. And that's why they're taking these draconian steps. I think they recognize that and they see what happened in Hong Kong. I think this lasts in perpetuity. I think you're going to see these rolling lockdowns and these mass testing efforts as the virus gets into different cities. The reality is right now Beijing is seated. Um, in a couple of months, you could see the kind of outbreak there that you saw in Shanghai, unless they repeatedly test people like they've done and try to get people isolated and quarantined. But I don't know how long this can go on for. This isn't a way that they can really operate this country in, in a maximally employed uh, you know, manner in the way that they want to. So they, there has to be a different end game. And right now, nobody sees it. They're not stockpiling therapeutics. They really haven't made an effort to procure them. They don't seem to be on the cusp of deploying vaccines that are going to be more effective against Omicron. And the vaccines that they have deployed in mass quantities, these inactivated virus vaccines, don't appear to be very effective against Omicron. That's not a pejorative statement. There was a big drop off in the effectiveness of our vaccines as well. But that drop off is more pronounced with the Chinese vaccines. You know, Scott, let me ask you to put on your hat from your former days at the American Enterprise Institute, not just looking at this from the FDA, but looking at how this is going to impact business and, and policy from here, because if these rolling lockdowns go on, Eunice was just pointing out that, you know, this is bad news for for anybody associated with Christmas products coming into the United States. It's going to be a big deal for retailers. We heard from Texas Instruments last night that they have concerns about this. If this is a, a rolling process, the lockdowns continue, you don't know what's going to happen. What does that mean for our supply chains? I think it means perpetual disruptions like we've seen. Uh, I, I don't understand the policy either. They had a chance to deploy um, the mRNA vaccine, the Pfizer vaccine. They actually had licensed it from BioNTech. BioNTech had retained rights for China. So it wasn't Pfizer. It was BioNTech that they licensed it from. Um, and they had a Chinese manufacturer in country, Fosan, prepared to manufacture upwards of a billion doses of that vaccine to deploy. They made a decision not to do that and to, to try to go with a homegrown mRNA vaccine, with their tri which they're trying to develop. They haven't deployed that yet. But now we're at a point where we're probably going to be moving to next generation vaccines that are based on an Omicron backbone. And they're going to be behind the curve on that because they're still working on vaccines based on the old Wuhan variant. So they're they're behind schedule on trying to deploy vaccines that are going to be more effective against these new variants. B2, B4, B5, which may come back in the fall. Um, so this is going to probably be perpetual until they are able to get ahead of the curve and deploy vaccines that are more effective against these variants, get more immunity to their population, and particularly protect their older population, which are the ones that are going to suffer the worst if this starts to spread in appreciable amounts like it did in Hong Kong. Dr. Gottlieb, thank you. Always appreciate it. Thanks a lot. 
That's Squawk Pod for today. Thank you for listening. We are just a few days away from your opportunity to watch the Berkshire Hathaway annual meeting live on CNBC.com. Tune in Saturday, April 30th, beginning at 9.45 a.m. Eastern to CNBC.com slash Buffett. We'll have on-the-ground coverage, a halftime show, and all the shareholder questions asked of Berkshire CEO Warren Buffett. Squawk Box is hosted by Joe Kernan, Becky Quick, and Andrew Ross Sorkin. They're on TV every weekday morning at 6, and we give you the best of the show each day right here on Squawk Pod. Follow us on your favorite podcast app, tell a friend to follow, share the news. We'll meet you back here tomorrow. We are clear. Thanks, guys. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx. 